Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's a former MLB pitcher and founding partner of JL Strategic Wealth. It's Jacob Turner. How are you doing today, Jacob? I'm doing well, Alex. I appreciate you having me on. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what did you like doing growing up? Yeah, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. So Midwest, uh, Midwest born and raised. I like playing baseball, right? I love playing sports. That was always my thing was sports in general. We grew up, I have two brothers. So I grew up playing hockey and baseball and uh, baseball took me pretty far. Well, both of us being from St. Louis, were you Blues and Cardinals all the way, or was there other teams that had you going for? Uh, definitely Blues and Cardinals. I mean, I think, as you know, being from St. Louis, it's kind of like a rite of passage. Like, you have to like the Cardinals. <laughs> and it's kind of, it's funny because when I grew up, you grew up to go in Cardinal games, you're like, you drink so much Cardinals Kool-Aid, for yeah. lack of a better term, that like when you go to another stadium, you're like, oh, it's like, it's good. It's not like it's good as the Cardinals. And then it's funny, when I played for the Cubs later in my career, I was like, man, like, this is kind of cool, too. Like, Chicago's a pretty cool city. But growing up, you thought of, like, the Cubs, man, we, do, we don't do that. The best experience I had was going to a Cubs game, being a Cardinals fan when we're, they're playing the Cardinals. And you would think, oh, it's going to get so hostile. Everyone was just getting along. I mean, it was just shocking. Because the media loves to say everyone hates each other. But no, we're just good a good rivalry that... People just want to win the game. Unlike the Red Sox Yankees, where like if you go and you're wearing the other team's stuff in the crowd, it's like you better be kind of careful like where you're sitting <laughs> at. But yeah. you know, it's funny. The Cardinal fans are great. The Cubs fans are great. I played there in 20, 2015. In twenty fourteen, we lost a hundred games, and we were like selling out on weekends still. So uh, you can't you can't knock fans that are coming when you're still losing. Playing sports growing up, what was the biggest thing it taught you about yourself? It's a great question. I think sports teaches you a lot. Actually, I made a post about this recently, but I think, you know, we talked about it a little bit before we started talking here, but it's just kind of that consistency muscle, but that idea of like resiliency that there's times when you, you get knocked down and you're trying to figure out like, man, I got to get back up and do this again. And like, it's the last thing in the world you want to do is like go to the field and, and grind for the next four days to get ready for that start. Um, but it just kind of teaches you that consistency muscle. Was there always a certain position that you wanted to play? Like growing up, everyone wants to be that outfielder, pitcher, infielder. Was that something for you or were you trying to figure out what position was best? Well, literally, you know, like if you're the shortstop of the team, you're usually like the best player because it's like the best <laughs> player plays shortstop, he bats third, like he usually pitches a little bit, but like he's like the guy. So maybe shortstop, it's it's funny, I wasn't like the best player on my team. I can remember in T-ball or like coach pitch first year, we played the entire season. I didn't get a hit the entire season. And I remember at the end of the year, we had like a party for like our team and the coach like read out stats. And it like haunts me to this day. Like I'm like, I don't know, six, seven years old. And he's like, so that's my stats. And it's like, I hit zero, right? I didn't get a hit all season. So growing up in Little League, like I was good at a certain point, but like I was never the best player. When you were playing, did you prefer it to being competitive where everything mattered or the fun aspect of it where you're around a group of kids or teenagers and just enjoying the game but still trying to have that competitive feel for us it was always the competitive thing 
I think it, it stems from both my parents played college sports. My two brothers and, and I are super competitive. I've played with my older brother on most of his little league teams. I can remember a good story. I can remember we got like third place in a local tournament in St. Louis. Our teams were usually pretty good. We were winning most of the tournaments in St. Louis. We get like third place. We get this little trophy. We've been there like all weekend. I can remember we like went home and like hit it with a golf club in the backyard um, <laughs> because we had we had won a lot of first and second place trophies. So it was like a third place trophy. Like I don't even want this thing. So for us, it was always the competitive part. Growing up, did you have anyone that was a huge motivation for you or an inspiration in your life? The you know the easy answer to that would be my dad. You know, my dad was definitely like the person that I, you know, he's my hero, right? Like I, I have kids now. So when I look back on how my dad raised me and my brothers, you know, very special memories. Like I hope that like I can instill a lot of the lessons that my dad instilled in me. So from, from that perspective, that's the easy answer. You know, from a baseball perspective though, I really loved like Roger Clemens. So I was a pitcher and Roger Clemens at the time was like one of the elite arms in the big leagues. And just the way that he pitched, he pitched with a real edge about him. And I just felt, I felt like that was something that like I wanted to be able to portray on the mound with like how Roger Clemens pitched. So in terms of sports, he was definitely kind of my sports hero. Did that ever take an effect as you got older hearing everything that Roger Clemens was going, what was going on with his life? Because when you said Rogers, I'm like, okay, at the time, yes, when he was playing, but now as things are coming out, it's like, does that did that change your mind from like oh I wish I had someone else back then when I thought Roger Clemens was my inspiration? You know it's funny because I I tell everybody the same thing about professional sports like professional sports is the greatest job in the world but at the same time like the guys that you look at on TV that are playing professional sports are the same as you they're just normal people that happen to have like a, an amazing God given ability to play baseball in my in my, uh, for me. But when I think about those guys, I view them as like human beings. And I, it's funny because I watch like the playoffs and I'm rooting for like friends of mine and I don't really care who wins. I just want like guys I know to succeed because I know how hard it is, right? They've, they've worked so hard all season. But it's funny because like Roger Clemens, because he played in the era before me and I don't know Roger Clemens personally, never played with him, never played against him. I still kind of view him as like, what, like he like the baseball version. Like I don't know Roger Clemens as like a human being, yet like all the guys that are playing now and have played you know over the past decade, I don't really view them as like baseball players. I just view them as like oh they're like people that I know. And outside of them being you know a really good athlete or whatever, it's like oh like I can you know I know the quirks and the things that they like to do outside of baseball. I think it's very true nowadays where people think that they're celebrities. Well, obviously they're celebrities, but they're just normal people. If you take that position or that job away from them, they're just a normal person living their life, but they just have, they're just in the spotlight more. And I feel like that spotlight really takes a toll on some people where you don't really know what's going on behind the closed doors. And you can say even like Tom Brady and everything that's going on with him right now, but he still is that player. Everyone focuses on him as a player and they don't even think, oh, his marriage is fine. This is just a publicity stunt, things like that. Well, we don't know that. I mean, obviously we don't, we know what now is going on, but like you said, you being in the industry, 
you saw people in a different light than how we all see them. Because your time, social media wasn't as huge as it is now, but you got to know people on a personal level than just, they're just a baseball teammate. Yeah, to your point, Alex, you know, I think it's so hard for a, a typical fan. You know, if you think of like a typical Cardinals fan in our example, right, they might go to the game on like a Wednesday night or a Friday night. And that might be like the one game they go to a month. Yeah. So like very cool experience. They get to go to the game. Maybe they're playing the Cubs, sold out crowd. You know, this last year, maybe Albert hits a home run and like the place is going. Right. For those guys that are playing for the Cardinals, that's just another one of the 162 games that they're playing. Yeah. And it, what's funny is when you're, when you're in that cycle of doing that over and over again, it becomes so normal that like, oh, I'm playing in front of, you know, 40,000 people tonight. It becomes so normal that like, you're just like, yeah, I have like my life going on and there's like stuff that's happening over here. And like, yeah, I got to make sure I take care of that thing. And I got to make sure I like knock that test off. And oh, by the way, I still have my job to complete tonight. And my job happens to be that like I'm playing in front of 40,000 people. But I can remember my first start back at Bush Stadium. So, you know, grew up a Cardinals fan, come back to Bush Stadium and I'm pitching. And I was over my, uh, my wife's family's house, like before the game, it was like, you know, one o'clock, we were like eating lunch. And I remember her brother being like, are you going to, are you like nervous for the game? Like thinking that like I should be doing something differently with my life than I was doing when the game was like at seven o'clock. I was like, no, I mean, like I'm ready to go. Like, it's just like another Tuesday. Like I'm excited to pitch, but like it's in six hours. Like I'm not, I'm eating lunch. Like that's what normal people do. So I think it's, it's hard for that fan that comes on that Wednesday or Friday night to rationalize that. And, and really understanding that like, Hey, they're just normal people that have an amazing God given ability that have worked really hard to get put themselves in the position they're in. But I will say to your point. So I took my son to a baseball game this year, right? We went to a Cardinals game. And I had, I haven't been to many big league games in person in the past two and a half years. And, and he thought it was super cool. And we're, we're sitting there and, and I was kind of looking around, sold out crowd. And I was like, man, this is, this is like really cool. Like these guys are in front of like 40,000 people tonight. But like in that moment when I was playing, it was just like game, you know, 77 of 162, you know, just like <laughs> another Tuesday. So. It's interesting how that all, it's all perspective in life, right? And, and baseball is no different than that. Was baseball always that dream job for you? Or did you have another dream job that you're wanting? Baseball was always it for me. I can remember, I remember in middle school, we used to carpool to school. And the, one of the girls that helped us carpool, she, like the mom one day was like, hey, like, what does everybody want to do when they grow up? So I go around the car and they get to me and I'm like, I want to be a professional baseball player. And I'll never forget. She's like, Jacob, you need to pick something like more realistic. <laughs> and like when I look back on it, I always remember it stuck out to me. Now, was she wrong? I won't say she was wrong, right? Like becoming a professional athlete, the odds of that are so low. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like, hey, that was my dream. That was what I always wanted to do. Did I ever think it was going to actually happen? I don't know, right? Like I was just a kid. My parents raised us to be extremely humble. Like I was never walking around thinking like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm definitely, this is definitely going to happen. It was just like, I'm going to work as hard as I can and see, see what ends of it. Heading to, into college education, 
did high school play a big effect on your baseball journey to get that scholarship, to get to that school where eventually you could get noticed by the MLB when it came to draft time? Yeah, well, my story is actually really interesting. So I <clears throat> went to high school in St. Louis, uh, signed to go to North Carolina for college. And then, you know, my, so my dad was a doctor. My mom was a CPA. So like they believe in education and I get an opportunity to sign out of high school. And I'm like, okay, so like if I sign out of high school, like, what does that mean? Like, do I just like not go to college? You know, and in our family, like that wasn't, it was like, you go to college, like that's the thing. Right. And I ended up getting enough money that it made the decision worthwhile that like I should sign out of high school. And what I ended up doing was I went back to school later on, but I certainly didn't get the the normal college experience that, that most kids at 18 to 22 get. Do you feel that was a lot on you being at a young age and not being able to get a couple years into college, kind of learn how to live on your own and stuff like that? It takes a really unique personality to be able to go into that setting as like an 18 year old kid and have any chance of success. I saw a lot of people go into that setting and it was just completely overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I do think I, for whatever reason, I was probably more mature at a younger age than most people. And that's not, not really bragging on myself. It's just more like my personality. I'm pretty even keeled when it comes to stuff. I don't generally get too high or too low. And I had a lot of really good mentors. So like in high school, you know, we had Andy Bennis, Mike Matheny, Todd Worrell, all former big league players that were helping to coach our high school team. So being able to ask them questions and realize, like, to your point that we talked about earlier, Alex, like, they're normal people. Yeah. Like, I, I think I can do this this whole baseball thing. It's just baseball. Now, there's a lot of off-the-field stuff that comes with it. You're signing for a lot of money. You're all of a sudden go from, like, a high school kid to being, quote-unquote, cool. And it, it takes a special personality. But for me, was there challenges along the way? Certainly. Do I think I, I handled them pretty well? Yeah, for an 18-year-old, like, did I make mistakes? Yeah, but, like, for the most part, I I think I did pretty well with it. I mean, if you're having those people come to your high school, my high school, we did not have anyone. I mean, my high school, the only person that's relative in MLB is Max Scherzer, went to the same high school, but that was many years difference than when I was there, but... I think even having those mentors, it helps so much because it's people with the real experience telling these kids how it is and helping them learn and kind of get them prepared in a way. It's one of those things that people think, oh, well, you're just lucky. No, I mean, it's just the benefit of going to certain schools and stuff. It's like, it's not yeah. like you had control over who they were bringing in and stuff. You benefited from that experience. Well, it's it's funny you bring that up, like the idea of, of lucky. I do think there's an idea of like luck surface area that leads to like things that happen in people's lives, though. So an example I would use is I was reading a book recently and they were talking about Bill Gates and they were talking about that, like the school that Bill Gates went to was like one of the few schools that had access to some sort of like technology or computers at like this really young age. So like people could argue that like, hey, like without that, is Microsoft a company? Like, does Bill Gates yeah. do what Bill Gates did? So, like, did Bill Gates get lucky? Like, oh, I mean, like, he certainly had some some chips fall his way, but at the same time, like, he was able to take advantage of those. And I think we all have those different things in our life. Like, there there could be completely different things than like what I had, or completely different things than, like what Bill Gates had. 
But that idea of like luck surface area, you know, the more you put yourself out there, the more people you meet, the more bridges you connect, all of a sudden it's like, how did I find this person to do that one thing to get that one connection? And it's like, I got to go like cross seven bridges again to be like, oh, remember I, I talked to that guy who led to that guy who led to that guy. It's funny how life works like that. You just have a board and it's like connecting the dots on that. It's like, uh, like a CSI board, like hundred uh, percent interacted with that person, but it's so true. hundred percent. Yeah. You have to put yourself out there because you never know who you're going to meet in those situations. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in just uh, for the longest time. And you could probably talk on this because you've been podcasting for so long, but like the idea of like not wanting to brag on yourself and you're like, oh, yeah. you know, you've done 200 some odd podcasts. That's really cool. Like, the amount of people that have recorded 200 podcasts is really low. And being able to like say like, Hey, like I've done this is a really cool accomplishment, but being able to like brag on yourself in public a little bit is something that like for me was always really uncomfortable. Like I, like, I don't know if I want to do that. Like I just, I, you know, I want to, I'm from St. Louis. Like I just keep to myself. Like I don't want to talk about it, but I got some encouragement from people that like, Hey, every once in a while, like it's okay to, to brag on yourself in public and just talk about like what you've done. Because to your point, Alex, it can help build some bridges to different things. And, you know, maybe you can connect some people that like would have never known each other if you put yourself out there. Well, even talking about that from, I'm a small guy in St. Louis, like who want to talk to me? And another St. Louis person that I had on my show was George Gray, who is the announcer for the price is right. In how many years do you think I was thinking, Oh, I'm going to talk to this person on a zoom call for a show. And like, you talk about bragging. I'm just proud of what I've done with just being by myself. And you probably can say yeah. the same thing. You're proud of what you've been able to accomplish with all the effort, the sweat, blood, and tears that you've put in your career to get to where you are today. Well, it goes back to that, just that resiliency muscle, like that we talked about at the beginning, like having that resiliency and the consistency to show up every single day and do it, even when you're like, man, this is not working. Yeah. And there's a guy on, on Twitter, Jack Butcher, that is a, a visual artist and he has a, a thing that actually has my screensaver. And it's a, uh, it's a little graph and it's like got little lines like this. And there's a line pointing up and it says, this is pointless, like halfway through the little lines. And then like a couple little lines later, it's like these giant spikes. But like, if that's not a good description of like business, life, yeah. anything that like you care about doing, then like, I don't know what is. And like the analogy I always use is like, it's like the ice cube. The ice cube melts at like, what, 32 degrees? But like from zero to 31, you're like, nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. So like if at 31 degrees, you're like, you know what? I'm giving up on this ice cube. It's never going to melt. Yet you were only at one degree away from it melting. And I think that's the perfect analogy to life and like the things that we just don't give them enough time to to see them succeed. You know, the yeah. the easiest way to have success in anything in life, no matter what you're doing, is just be willing to do it longer than everybody else. Oh, that, that's like the health and health and fitness industry. Everyone wants the results like that, but you got to take time to get to where you are. 2009 was a big year for you. First round draft pick. Going into that, nerves, excitement, unsure what's gonna, my future going to happen like? You know, dra- getting drafted as a, as a high school kid, in the major league baseball is a unique experience because you could be the best player in the draft or one of the top players in the draft. And you still don't know if you're going to get drafted, if the team's going to pay you enough money for you to sign. So it's so 
it's so different than one coming as a college kid or like the NFL or the NBA draft where the minute you get drafted, you're signing. So for me, the, the draft process wasn't so much stressful to lead up to it. It was enjoyable because I, I was so committed to going to school that I didn't really focus at all on the fact that, hey, there are a lot of scouts here. I'm doing well. I'm kind of, everything's coming together at the right time. It was just like, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And like, I'm so committed to going to school that that is truly what I was thinking about. But then I can remember the week before the draft, it was like, okay, this is real. Like, and I, you start to get some inklings that like, hey, there's a chance that like you could get drafted high enough that maybe school becomes, you know, a decision point. And then I can remember the day of the draft, just being in that terrible mood. Right. Like I was like, Oh, I'm not going to get drafted. Like I'm really excited. You know, although I'm like super excited about school. Well now it's like draft day. So it's like all your emotions are like focused on that. You're like, this is at the end of the day, this is what I've always wanted. And then you hear like, well, maybe you, maybe you will get drafted. Maybe you won't get drafted. Maybe it'll be in a spot you want. Maybe it won't be in a spot you want. And there's just all these unknowns and it can just eat away at you. But I will say draft day for me was one of the coolest experiences you know, hearing Bud Seeley, who was the commissioner at the time, call my name. We only had, it was just me, my mom and dad, and my two brothers. I didn't want anybody else to come over because I was like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I just want like my immediate family there. And I can't remember giving my dad a big hug and, uh, and just saying we did it. It was just a really cool, a really cool culmination of a lot of hard work between like my entire family, like my brothers, my parents that took me to everything. You know, we're talking years and years of, competitive baseball at that point when after the draft are you going straight into single a or did you get higher up and how long was that minor league process for you before you ended up in the majors for me my my process was i signed and i wrote a post about this and i compared it to like the red i said the red carpet the last 48 hours so you sign you know that same day you're like on conference calls with like all the big reporters that are covering the major league team. So if you think about like in St. Louis, you know, like some of the guys that have been here a long time that are covering the Cardinals, you're like on the call with them. Like, wow, this is like really cool. And then the next day, you know, the team is flying you to, for me, they were flying me to Detroit at the time with the Tigers and you're getting your physical at the big league stadium. You're kind of, you're meeting a couple of the big league guys. I mean, you feel like a big leaguer. You go to the game that night, you know, they're, doing everything to make you feel super important. You're on the big screen. People are cheering for you. You're like, this is great. This is great. Next day, I fly to Lakeland, Florida, which is like central Florida outside of Orlando, between Orlando and Tampa. Not a whole lot in Lakeland, Florida. <laughs> and we were staying in dorms that, that weren't really nice. And I was like, man, this is not what I was expecting. So for me, it was a kind of a whirlwind experience. I ended up starting my first full season in low A, which was – good for a high school guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, most high school guys don't start in low A. They might start in what we would call rookie ball. And for me, that process of, of building that journey through the minor leagues was I played half a season in low A, did well, did played half a season in high A, did well. Went to spring training the next year, did really well. Went to double A, played half a season, got called up to the big leagues to make one start, um, and then got sent back to triple A. And then got called back up in September. So they have September call-ups in the big leagues where they can call up a few extra guys to fill out the roster. Didn't really pitch a whole lot, but the team was really good. Uh, we won the American League Central. So 
<clears throat> it was a lot of fun to be a part of that team that year. And then ever since then, I was, you know, between AAA and the big leagues really for the rest of my career. Was there ever a time where a lot of players might never think that they're going to get that opportunity to be on the big stage and they're staying in the minor leagues for so long that they think, well, I got to think about my next chapter. Did you ever have that thought go in your mind thinking, well, I'm just going back and forth. When am I going to get that opportunity to really show myself and my skills for a full season? I had that thought but more so because I don't, I always realized that there was things outside of baseball that I loved to do. There was a lot of teammates I played with where baseball was like the end all be all of everything in their life. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, the way that my parents raised us was, you know, baseball is what you do, but it's not so much who you are. And for me, you know, I love personal finance. I love, I call it the way the world works, but like understanding like, how people make money and like what they do with it, like the psychology behind it. And that was something that, you know, signing at 18 years old for millions of dollars, like I was able to personally experience. But then as I went through the Meyer leagues, like reading books and learning more about it and asking people questions and asking people on my team questions, I always kind of knew like, Hey, when baseball ends, whether I'm, you know, played till I'm 25 or I played till I'm 40 and I'm in the hall of fame, my personality is not one to sit around and do nothing. I would be going crazy. So I knew I like, Hey, I'm going to do something when I'm done. I don't know what it's going to be, but I really love small business. I really love entrepreneurship. I really love personal finance. And that kind of all cultivated with, with me doing what I do now. I love hearing that, that you took the opportunity to learn more. And I think I always tell my friends with college is, try a bunch of different stuff. Like don't focus on like, if you're going to school for business, we'll try to learn other different areas because you might enjoy that and you might want to pivot and go into a different direction. But you took that opportunity to learn even more while still doing what you love, which was baseball. And now you took full advantage of that even post-career or post-baseball career. And now you're doing what you learned throughout your journey. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. Just too many people in life think that they should have everything figured out by like (laughs) pick a number, right? Like I should have everything figured out by the time I graduate high school. I should have everything figured out by the time I'm a junior in college. I should have everything figured out by the time I'm my second year at my job. I should have everything figured out by the time I'm 30. And I got to tell you right now, like nobody's got it all figured out. (laughs) Nobody does, right? Like you see all these quote unquote, successful people. And if you really ask them and you got to know them and you asked like, tell me more about your journey to get to where you're at today. It would be like, well, I did this and then I did that and I crossed this bridge and I did that and I got fired and I did this. And then like 20 years later, here's where I'm at. And you're like, really, that's the story. And you're like, yep, that's the story. And I've heard that same story from so many people. I think we you know, we as a society push like celebrity athlete, famous entrepreneurs and talk about like this journey that they were on as like this linear trajectory straight up. Yes. But it's almost never like that. And if you think it is like that, you probably just don't know the backstory behind it. And there was a great, there was a great documentary. I'm not a huge music guy, but on, and I know he's super controversial right now, but Kanye West, there was a documentary that Netflix put together on Kanye West. And I only know Kanye West because of like, he's famous now. And I've heard some of his music, 
but seeing this documentary, this guy in New York City just hustling and like doing everything he can to like get his name out there and being told no and all this stuff. It's like, I have a great amount of respect for just the journey that guy was on. Now, what he's doing now, I won't comment on, but in terms <laughs> of, you know, the, the journey he was on, it's so easy to look at anybody that is, you know, at the pinnacle and say, I just want to be like that. But you have to remember that it took a journey of generally decades to get to where they're at. I think more of those big name people need to talk about the struggles that they've been on, because I think a lot of people will understand and appreciate them more. Like you just said, that you learned even more about him and because you only know with what we see from the public eye. And I want to learn about those. And that's why when I do the show, I'm like digging into the early stories because yeah, they might have it all now, but was it always like that to get to where they are today? No. And I love learning about that. Looking at your MLB career, what is that one stadium that you enjoyed playing at the most? Can't say the Cardinals because we're both. <sighs> you got to say a different. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll say what I actually believe. And honestly, uh, my favorite stadium is Wrigley Field. And I know that that's hard for Cardinal fans to hear, but Wrigley Field, just the nostalgia of the place. It just feels so much like a baseball game. You're like, it just has like, there's like that smell in the air and like that sense and that excitement and the energy and there's the ivy and there's lights and, you know, there might be a little bit of wind coming off the water and it's just, it's just a cool place. You know, it, it's, it's got that just traditional American pastime baseball feel. I was going to say it's old school style. It's not high tech with a bunch of stuff. Yeah, they added LED boards nowadays, but they're trying to grow in the times. But they were the ones with the old school scoreboard where you had to actually put the numbers in and stuff. And it, like you said, it just feels American baseball. Like you feel that nostalgia, like a lot of the living or the legends played there and had fun. I mean, I enjoyed it being, being a fan, getting to go there. But even being a Cardinals fan, but like you, you have a different perspective from it than a fan. You played the game. So hearing that, it's just funny. People that are Cardinals, they're like, really? He picked the Cubs stadium, but yeah, everyone has their opinion on stuff. And what's crazy is like, if you go there, you know, you would feel that way. Even if you were a Cardinals fan, even if you just don't want to admit it, but in your heart of hearts, you're like, man, that is a cool place. Was there ever a city or a stadium that you were shocked by? Like, I didn't, when I'm hearing, like, oh, I'm playing there, and you get there, and it was kind of a different atmosphere that you thought of. Hmm. I, I would contrast Wrigley Field with the White Sox Stadium, which I'm, <laughs> I don't know what their, I don't know what the title of it is today. Um, but just like even the types of fans there is very different. So, like, same city. But north side and south side, it's just a different, it's a different type of fan. Not to say one's better or worse. It's just, there's a different energy on the north side than there is on the south side. Did you kind of have a feeling of when your career as a baseball player was going to end? Or did you kind of were seeing, I'm going to take this as far as I can before I need to stop? I think every player knows kind of when the light is at the end of the tunnel. You heard Tom Brady talk about this, that he's like on borrowed time. And he's a, it's an easy example because the guy's what, 40 something years old. Yeah. 
But for me, as a guy that was up and down a lot towards the end of my career, my last year playing professional baseball, I played in South Korea, which was really this idea of, hey, I'm trying some new things. I'm going to get the opportunity to play a lot over there, and I want to see if I can implement some of these things. But I would say about halfway through the season over there, a lot of the stuff I was trying to do, I still wasn't performing the way I really wanted to perform. And I'm a, I would like to call myself a realistic person in terms of I, you know, I can do some self-reflection on myself, sometimes probably harder than I should. But as that season kind of wore down, my wife, my kids were over there. You know, we're living in South Korea in a really small apartment. At the time, I had three kids. I'm like, man, I don't know how much longer I want to keep doing this. And I think the thing that people need to realize about professional sports is, although it is the greatest job in the world when you are out there performing, there's really no end to it. So there's a quote-unquote off-season for baseball, but the off-season really nowadays lasts two weeks of you not doing something, and then you're right back at it, and you're doing all those tedious little things. And you're really your heart really has to be in a place where you're able to commit to doing a lot of those tedious little things to even have a chance at competing. For me, when I got done with that year, I can remember flying back on the plane. I can remember the last game I pitched there, the last out I got was a ground ball to second base on like a slider inside to a left-handed batter. Now, I remember thinking as I was walking up the field, I was like, I think this is it. I think this is it. Now, I could have kept playing and got the minor league deal here. But for me, as I mentioned earlier, Alex, like I had interest outside of baseball. Mm-hmm. And my heart just wasn't in it. I didn't feel like I was doing the game I felt like I was doing a disservice to one, the game, and two, to guys that like could take my spot if like I wasn't going to be all in. Because if you're not going to be all in at that level, there's you can't compete at that level. Was it hard to adjust to a new routine um, going into your next chapter? Hard for sure. I will say I felt like I had a pretty good game plan to do it. With that being said, it was still challenging. It just is challenging from the standpoint of you are going from a locker room setting that you've had 25 guys that are pretty type A that, hey, if we have a disagreement and it's relatively serious, like 30 seconds later, it's like, hey, everything good? Yeah, we're all good, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Versus like if you go to like a corporate setting and you yeah. say that like HR is coming down the hall and it's like, so there's just a, it's just a different And there's not really an atmosphere that I've ever found that is like that professional sports locker room. So from that perspective, there's a lot of differences in terms of like communication and things of that nature. But at the same time, there's, there's some similarities, you know, in business in general, that competitive nature, you're still able to do those things. Now there's not quite the, the stage or the pressure that you might feel pitching in front of 40,000 people, but um, there's your own unique challenges that you're working through too. How has it been physically, mentally, at a fitness and health level? Going from being an athlete and working out, eating right, all that to now, do you have that new challenge or that new physical goal that you're going for that it doesn't feel like it's pressure anymore? It's really, it's actually more fun. I love, I love working out. I love. Uh, being healthy. So for me, that never changed when I got done. And it actually has become more fun for me because I'm able to do things that I enjoy more as opposed to doing what I would call functional work. Mm -hmm. So functional work for baseball might be like, 
hey, I'm following the specific training program to get better at baseball. But like a lot of those things I might not really want to do. I might not want to lift five pound shoulder weights, you know, 10 times for four sets, four times a week. But like, if I don't do that, I'm not going to be able to pitch consistently. So now, and like, you can even see in the corner over here, this is a Peloton bike. I love cycling. So like I ride the Peloton a lot and that's probably like my biggest challenge in terms of like what I do is like trying to get better at cycling. So I still work out and stuff, but like, that's the thing I enjoy doing. I love the Peloton. I have one of my own and every day, if I can get on it, it tests myself to see how far I can go. Like even for the last two years being on a fitness journey, it's been a fun experience because I'm doing something for me. Like I get to control what I do. And it's not like someone's telling me, you have to do this. You have to meet these goals and things like that. You talked about fun. What are fun things you like to do? We talked about your journey, but let's learn more about Jacob. What is a fun thing you like to enjoy now? The easiest thing for me is I have four kids. I love hanging out with my kids. Um, I love combining hanging out with my kids and playing golf. So golf is my, I love golf and I've gotten, I've slowly worked my way into convincing my two oldest that they like golf too. Now (laughs) I, I, I know one of them really likes golf. The other one I think likes hanging out with dad and dad happens to play golf. So that, that's something that for me, I just really enjoy doing, you know, being outdoors, walking around the challenge of golf. It's like this never ending challenge. You'll never be as good as you think you are. And it's, this thing that I can continually work towards. You know, for me, the other thing that I, I found that I really enjoyed, I wouldn't have thought I would have enjoyed this as much as I do, but just trying to pour back into young players. So that's not so much even on the financial side, but more just on the, hey, here's my experiences. If you could take one little nugget, one little piece and try to apply it to your life, take some of the successes, some of the failures, everything that happened in between and if I can try to give that to one guy, that's really rewarding for me. Cause I do think I had such a unique journey going from, you know, 18 year old high school kid, 20 year old big leaguer to 25 years old. It's like, man, how much longer is this career going to last? So I've probably done everything in baseball, both good and bad. Have you been able to go back to your high school and be able to talk to players? I was actually there today and I talked to, they have a, I, it's funny, I talked to a business and entrepreneurship class there and that was more rewarding to me than even talking to like anybody in sports. And I, I told them, I said, you know, the first thing that we talked about was just this notion of an unconventional path. I think we touched on this, but you don't have to have everything all figured out. Like my path is so unconventional. If you would have told me that in 2022, you'd be sitting up in front of this business entrepreneurship class in a suit talking about this business that you started 20 months ago, I would have been like, uh, I don't think that's, I think you got the wrong guy. <laughs> so it's just, it's taking, it's really just embracing the journey. We're so focused on the end destination as human beings. We we're so taught to want, you know, the next thing, the carrot at the end. And then you get the thing at the end. And I've seen guys do this. I've seen guys get the big contract and they're so dissatisfied because they thought that, if I got that one thing I've been searching for my whole life, it's going to solve all my problems. And what they really should be focused on is like enjoying the journey along the way. Yep. And the journey's ups and downs. There's, and I'm not saying like you're going to wake up every day and be like, man, I love this. Like I just, you know, got really bad news at work yesterday, but like it's part of the journey. It's part of 
everything that's going to go on in your life to get to wherever you're trying to go. You talked about golf. Is there a dream course you want to play at? Got to be Augusta, man. That's yeah. like the one course that I don't know. We we talked a little bit about luck surface area. I'm going to have to get a little luck surface area, I think, to get on there. I'm a horrible golfer. Um, I don't know if you've – oh, God, what is that? The Creve Core um, golf course, the nine-hole one. Oh, yeah, I've been up there. I'm known to hitting the, on that eighth hole where it's along those apartments. I'm known yep. to hit the windows. I am yeah. in that ball. But I always said Pebble Beach would be so cool just to be on that ocean front and just let me hit the ball in the ocean. Like that yeah. would be just a dream. I my ball is out there somewhere. But Augusta is so so like just watching it on TV, it's like breathtaking. I feel like if you go there, it's even like better because you're really living it. Yeah, I think it's fun to play some of those courses that the professionals played to be able to truly appreciate how good they are. I think TV sometimes does a disservice in terms of what you see. Oh yeah. What's actually happening on the course. You're like, Oh, that looks like a hard shot. And then when you're standing there and you're like hitting the same shot, you're thinking, man, that is an impossible shot. How did you possibly do that? <laughs> Every shot for me would be impossible. I'm just that bad. <laughs> yeah. Golf's a hard sport. What does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years? We kind of talked about that no one, we don't have to have it all figured out, but do you have like a personal goal, a professional goal that you have that you're looking forward to accomplishing? For me, success moving forward really looks like helping to educate people around personal finance. However, I do that. Sometimes that's working individually with people in our business. Sometimes that's helping to educate people online through content I put out there. That's really my passion. I think it, I always say it's really hard to make money in life. And I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of bad advice out there. Yeah. And just helping to educate people on like, hey, here's some, some things that you could do in your situation. And you don't have to have millions of dollars to do it. Personal finance is, is a lot like everything else we talked about. Like it's doing the little things over and over and over again. So I would love for people to say like, hey, that guy helped me with, you know, one piece of content he put out there or he helped me because he responded to a DM that I sent him um, regarding some question I had. So that for me, that's that would be really cool. You know, in our business, I would love to be able to build a team of people that are truly pulling on the rope from the same side. One thing that I've seen a lot in business as businesses continue to grow is it can be very hard to truly build that culture and get that alignment of everybody. Mm -hmm. But for me, that's what we always had in the clubhouse. And that would be a really cool thing and a really great accomplishment to be able to build a team of people that really feel like everybody has each other's back. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? So the tip that I would give you is to just start. Okay. And the, and the, the caveat to that is just starting requires you getting over the fear of failure. We live in a world where everybody is so afraid of what happens if I record a podcast and it's not good? What happens if I ask my boss for something that I really, really want in the job and he says no? And 
for people listening, it's just starting. Whatever you, there's that one thing that you're thinking about right now, as I say, like, you should just start doing that. Mm -hmm. Start doing it. Like, it'll never, there'll never be the perfect time. You'll never have all the chips in the perfect place to start it, but just starting it. Because there's so many things in my life that, like, I've just started that have ultimately led to great successes. Maybe not always at right right at once, but they've led to great successes. And my my thought always is, I wish I would have done that sooner. Well, Jacob, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people, and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thanks for having me, Alex. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe to all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full length episode in video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.